everybody. Welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Now, last episode, we reviewed X-Men number 45, which is the penultimate issue of a long-form Magneto and Toad story that has been told by Roy Thomas uh, across several issues of the Avengers and the X-Men. And we are finally wrapping up that story today. Uh, in this, uh, all you kind of need to know coming into this is Magneto and the Toad have manipulated Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch into rejoining the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Uh, Wanda has lost her powers. Meanwhile, Professor X has seemingly died and the X-Men have been captured by Magneto on his island. Uh, Angel escaped to go find the Avengers. Get a weird side story with Red Raven, which we talked about <laughs> in our previous episode. Uh, and the Avengers are kind of at their absolute weakest. Their membership at this point is Goliath and Wasp and Hawkeye and the newly recruited Black Panther. Black Panther uh, in the previous issue of Avengers just joined the team for the first time when they fought the Grim Reaper. So we're gonna, uh, we're gonna be reviewing Avengers number 53 today. Uh, I'm so excited to be joined by some incredible uh, uh, people that I am a huge fan of in different spaces. So uh, we have uh, Casey Counselor joining us. Uh, we'll talk about Casey's work in just a minute, but I've become a huge fan of his over this last few months. Hi, Casey. How are you? Hi, great. Thank you. So nice. So happy to have you here. And then uh, we are thrilled to be welcoming uh, Karen Charm here. Karen uh, drew this gorgeous picture of the stranger on my wall, which I'm pointing to. I, I've been a fan of Karen's art for a while. How are you, Karen? I'm doing good. Thank you very much, Chad. Good. And then my good friend Tristan Palmgren is back. Uh, Tristan's been on the podcast a number of times. Uh, one of my favorite novelists. How are you, Tristan? I'm doing good. How? Thank you. <laughs> Everybody's asking how I am too, and I love it. I'm great. <laughs> uh, so we're going to do some brief introductions as everyone is introducing themselves. Uh, let us know your name, your gender pronouns, and where we might know you from. Let's go in the order of Karen, Casey, Tristan. Okie dokie. Uh, my name is Karen Charm. Uh, I can be found on X Twitter as Karen underscore X-Men fan. Um, and it's basically just my account where I spout off uh, about the X-Men. And um, after a while, I started drawing um, the X-Men and other characters. And um, so I do commissions. So I sell prints. I do costume redesigns. Um, and I also am really into the Eternals. So I write a lot about the Eternals at uh, comicsxf.com. And I've also written about... Um, X-Men crossovers like X of Swords and um, the Hellfire Gala at uh, comicbookherald.com. And um, I also co-wrote the uh, Comics XF primer on Chris Bacalo, Bacalo, sorry, um, who's a favorite artist of mine. Wonderful. I, uh, I, I've been commissioning indie artists to do these 60s characters for this wall behind me. And I usually give them a, a, a five or six to choose from. And, and Karen chose The Stranger. Yes, you gave me. I was like, what, who's this going to be? But Stranger is one of my favorite. <laughs> I'm always like, when the X-Men are in the MCU, they need to have the classic X-Men villain, The Stranger. And uh, when, when Karen did their initial uh, uh, post on social media, there's like, about time somebody, or about time somebody paid me to draw this fucking weirdo, something like that. <laughs> so happy. Uh, Casey, do you want to go next? Sure, sure. Um, so I'm Casey Counselor, and I, you know, even just listening to you all so far, I'm like, oh man, I am like a newbie um, to the comics world, just in general. So I, my pronouns are he, him. Um, I'm trans, queer, 
Uh, I'm a cartoonist, but I didn't start drawing until um, I took a class with the the great Linda Berry, and mm-hmm. then another and another and another, and I think another um, at the University of Wisconsin. So I'm like an accidental cartoonist. So in my 30s, I mean, I didn't know I wanted to be a cartoonist. I mostly just read like the Sunday paper kind of comics growing up. And then once I found the language of comics, it was like through drawing that I realized that I was trans and wanted to transition because, you know, truly like comics are magical. So, um, and also you have to draw things over and over and over. And it sort of makes you reckon with yourself (laughs) when you have to do that or when you project forwards in time and backwards in time. So to me, comics and transness are, you know, two sides of a coin. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I, so I became like a, a man and like a cartoonist, like together. Um, and now, and so I have a, a memoir book of comics out called uh, Between You and Me, Transitional Comics. And ooh, yeah, <laughs> Chad's shaking, shaking a copy. Um, and I'm working now on, on more comics about, you know, because transition, I realize now, um, being, I guess, six, seven years in, um, it's just like you are always doing it. Like, it's not like a a transition. And then now I'm complete with that. It's like, no, no, this is just a new phase of transitioning. So I'm making comics about being a, a dude in the world, um, particularly, um, you know, having been raised as a, as a woman. It's really like, I mean, just walking down the street, the the ways that people treat me now so utterly differently than I was treated before. And, you know, my partner and I are starting a family and then being a parent is a whole other gender identity. So anyway, life is giving me a lot of things um, around queerness and transness to make um, comics about. And in uh, my other, so part of me is a cartoonist, the other part of me is a communication professor. <laughs> so I do that too. Um, and all my students draw. We draw at the beginning of every class. I love that story so much. And I want to talk a lot about your story and your art Mm. style and your book uh, in just a moment. Uh, But uh, I just let me say it's an honor to have you here. And uh, Tristan, let me have you go next. Well, hello, true believers and X-Men fans. <laughs> um, I uh, uh, I am Tristan Palmgren. I write uh, novels for uh, prose novels for Marvel via Aconite Books. Um, my newest is uh, just out this past May. It's uh, about X-Men characters, uh, Anoli and Elixir. Um, and it is uh, about racism and bigotry and uh, vampire mofroak because subtlety <laughs> is for cowards and certainly is not for the X-Men. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, Tristan has been on the pod before on a couple of our trials and in a future episode where we talked a lot about his books about Domino and Outlaw, which are just wonderful. I love them both, but the Outlaw book is my particular favorite. Uh, Tristan also has a book coming out about Squirrel Girl, who is my all-time favorite. Uh, I'm really excited to see your uh, upcoming books. Yes, that'll be out in uh, August. And um, I I almost forgot my pronoun. I'm also, uh, pronouns are also they, them. Fantastic. Uh, So I want to share, Casey, as I I introduce you, I want to share a little bit of my story very quickly. So uh, I've been doing this podcast for a year. I reached out initially to a couple of people who've been featured on the pod since then, uh, Jessica Baldonzi and Hussein Rashid and uh, Susan Kirtley, all of whom have written books that reference Linda Berry. And I'm Mm. a big fan of Linda's anyway, but we Mm. kept talking about Linda on the podcast. So I just on a whim emailed Linda and said, hey, you should come on the pod. 
And Linda, very lovely uh, person responded and said, I don't think this is the right fit for me, but you should talk to my, my colleague, uh, Casey. Uh, now I had heard your name before and I'm gonna share a little of my journey very quickly. <laughs> I grew up in a very small town in Missouri as a conservative Mormon. Uh, which is a religion that teaches a lot of shitty things about queer people. <laughs> and I was a gay kid in a family that was, you know, we're, they're good people, but there was just no conversation about queerness ever. Mm -hmm. uh, so I knew I was, I knew I was gay very early on, but I had no idea about transgender people or, or non-binary stuff until I came out in my early thirties with two children. And right after I came out, I had been a therapist, which is my day job for several years. And I got a job at the Pride Center here in Salt Lake City. And they put me in charge of, uh, of doing a therapy group for trans individuals, many of whom are formerly Mormon. So this is a kind of a weird place. If you've never been to Salt Lake, it's a bizarre. I have been <laughs> once. I, I had the feeling that it was a weird place, yes. <laughs> uh, but there's a huge queer community here, despite the crazy culture. Uh, and it was in this group where I really got this entire education about trans issues and trans journeys. And there was an entire trans library, uh, some of which were books and memoirs, some of which were comics. And I got this, uh, this uh, education by reading books and seeing names and seeing stories, uh, which I would then take home to my kids and start teaching them about. Uh, so my children have always been raised with this idea of you are who you are and we love you who for you are. And, and that has now resulted in my 10 year old uh, coming out as non-binary already. Uh, and uh, he, my goodness, I'm still adapting to their new pronouns. Clearly my apologies. Uh, they and I read through your book together uh, yeah. uh, as, as a father and child and had some really lovely conversations about the perception of gender uh, so I have a roundabout story, but as a as a therapist in Salt Lake now, I specialize in trans issues, and I work with uh, with trans clients navigating that faith transition or the coming out process, or or just figuring out who they are over time. And your book so beautifully captures so many of those journeys from a very authentic kind of non preachy personal, this is my life kind of space. Uh, so with that very large personal preamble. Let me just hear a little bit about your story or upbringing, what you might be willing to share about your coming of awareness as a trans person and this publication of this very wonderful graphic novel. Thank you. Um, first of all, your story is amazing. Um, so I, I we relate to the like major life changes yeah, in the early yeah. 30s. Yeah, it's never too late. Um, I grew up in Northern Virginia, actually, right outside of DC. Um, the part of Virginia where I didn't realize it was, I lived in a Southern state until I went to college down at UVA. And because no one, I mean, it's a very cosmopolitan, very diverse, lots of immigrant communities, um, kind of a place. And yet, um, and I graduated high school in 1999. So there were no GSAs. There were no out gay people in my high school. There were rumors about this person and that person. But, and I remember like one of the, I'm sure all of you can relate to this in some way, like, before you sort of were starting to figure out like, oh, maybe this is who I am, that you can like look back at early moments in your life and, and there's a, it's obvious, it's very mm -hmm. clear, but like at the time you didn't know. So one of those for me was um, I, Ellen's coming out episode on her sitcom. I taped that, like I put the, you know, got the blank tape, put it in the VCR and then I, you know, archived that. Um, I remember like flipping through magazines and like I would see some reference about gay people or AIDS, 
knowing that it was a bad thing, but but it like really like stuck with me. And of course, like I grew up um, as a blonde chick, played sports, um, had boyfriends, also always had crushes on female teachers. But I just like, I couldn't put a lot of pieces together because I didn't, there was nobody um, who I knew that, that I could look to as like, oh, this is how you could be in the world. Sort of like the only options that I saw were, was straightness, you know? Um, and I grew up in a, you know, my parents are Episcopalian, pretty religious, um, not like evangelical religious. They're very accepting now. Um, so they're part of the, you know, religious groups who put the rainbow flags out on their churches. Yeah. Those type of folks. But they weren't at the time. And a lot of it was really that social stigma and the shame. Um, so I didn't, you know, once I went off to college and I started, it was actually a slam poet um, named Alex Olson. And the, I don't know if you all know the folk singer, Farron, who came to my school, like old school Canadian lesbian folk singer. But both of them came to visit um, the school. And then I was like, hold on. You know, I saw them, you know, butch lesbians. And I was like, I think, like, that was the first time I saw someone in real life who I was like, well, this is, I think this is like, this is me. Um, and then I, so then I was, you know, happily a lesbian um, for a, a good while um, and felt delighted to find something that felt more like home and made me realize like how come i didn't like <laughs> all these relationships i had in high school and um why was i so angsty and you know it just made a lot of things make sense um and then again like i didn't i was really far on the masculine end of the spectrum as a lesbian um but my i will say that my my parents when they found out they they didn't know how to deal with it you know and they freaked out and they um, they thought that the whole community would, uh, you know, judge them. And, and it was pretty, it was a rough time. It was a rough time. Um, but lucky for all of us, uh, having another transition or another opportunity to come out, that time I didn't, somebody outed me. When I was in my 30s coming out as trans, we all had another chance. Like I got a chance to actually share that with them, um, which was still hard. Um, and they got a chance to respond in a loving way, yeah. you know, so we all got to, that was reparative, restorative, really for all of us. I think, uh, I mean, this is a room full of, I believe all of us identify as Caucasian or white. Uh, we grew up in um, American communities uh, with historic trends toward particular ways of defining gender, right? We assign the gender right. before the child is born. And then families yeah. form entire assumptions or cultures about what that means. Not only do we assume that every child is straight, but that they're also gender defined. For so many of us growing up, we have to learn about the possibilities of sexual mm -hmm. orientation or gender definition long before we can figure out how we fit those definitions. Uh, I remember being in kindergarten uh, and having a crush on a boy in my class and wanting it, wanting to write him like a little Valentine with like a B mine heart in it. But I immediately knew as young as five, no one told me, but like, if I do this, they're going to tease me. So I threw the Valentine in the trash and I look back as an adult now and I'm like, oh my God, I was gay right from the start. 
Mm. Uh, it's it's a really fascinating journey. Uh, Tristan and Karen, as I ask this question, you're both welcome to say no thank you, uh, which is completely fine. But are you willing to share with us a little bit about your own gender journeys? Uh, I certainly. Um, I entirely understand and relate to not having the vocabulary to uh, to really be able to not only explain yourself but to define yourself. Um, I didn't. I did not understand uh, non-binary orientation until I was in my 30s. It was just not something that uh, that was talked about where I came from. Um, I think the, uh, the the closest I came to that beforehand was in uh, wasn't was in realizing um, that I was bisexual. Um, uh, and that was uh, th that was also an era in which the, I, I had never heard the word pansexual either. Um, but even then, I was never entirely um, uh, never entirely comfortable with that because that was just uh, uh, seemed like just um, describing attraction rather than identity and what gender I I, I was. Um, it, so. It, 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 wish it was something that I that I had grown up with earlier and I am incredibly happy to hear about to um, to know that there are kids who are getting the the that that environment and that support um, you are doing incredible work Chad thank you I can I I uh, I, I want to say that I'm jealous but jealous uh, sounds negative I'm just I'm just happy for them, and I, I, I wish that uh, that I that I had had that opportunity earlier than uh, earlier than I did. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I'm I'm very fortunate. I have two beautiful mm. children, and I'm so fortunate to have them be comfortable enough to be themselves. Uh, I will be I will be totally honest. Uh, my my older child has come out as gay, and that one I saw coming. It didn't surprise me. But the little ones saying they were non-binary as young as they are really shocked me. And I'm constantly guiding families through this. And I see parents like really struggle to adapt to changing their idea of who they thought their kid was. And even though I'm not a very like gender specific person in my parenting style, it's still been a mind fuck. Like it's really, it's really changed my like, oh, wow. Like uh, it just, it just came at me from left field and I'm thrilled. And also just like, whoa, okay. Uh, Karen, did you want to share any of your, your journey there? You know, I was trying to, thinking and I was like, I don't know if I really have it narrativized very much. I guess it's uh, still very much ongoing, but it's been ongoing for many, many years. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, kind of, it's been a journey of, uh, you know, self-determination, I guess is the easiest way to put it. And just, um, one feeling like that's my call to make, like, uh, I echo, um, Casey and Tristan are saying about, you know, you have to learn what's possible first and, uh, that's the first step. And then, uh, for me in particular, it's been a lot of, um, you know, working out that like, I am like entitled to set my own reality for myself, like based on my truth and who I am. And, um, and, um, instead of being just like, I have to, um, you know, be as the world perceives me kind of very much like a, a sense of, um, you know, just being like um, 
I guess being a people pleaser, you're just like, oh, I, I want to like, you know, fade in and sort of like not be noticed, no, like not making too much of like uh, sticking out like a like a nail out of the floorboard. Yeah. Uh, my friend uh, who's a poet told me about the term proud comes from it, it can be applied to like if a, a nail is sticking up from a floorboard and you get caught on it. That's a proud nail that's sticking out and it's like, uh, it's beautiful. But anyway, all that to say, um, you know, being in the X-Men community, uh, has been very helpful for me to sort of, uh, spread out and get more comfortable with myself. Um, and being, uh, being me. Thank you so much. I think we often, uh, and Casey, I want to ask you a couple of questions about your book uh, and and your connection to Linda Berry, who I love. Uh, 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 you well, let me let me just say quickly uh, from kind of an introductory perspective. Not only is all of this a journey. Uh, on the front of your book, it says between you and me, transitional comics, and so much of this is transitional for so many queer kids who are trans or non-binary. There's a coming out as bisexual or gay first and then coming out as trans or non-binary later because our definitions of ourselves change over time. Mm. Uh, and I think gender on the spectrum has nothing to do with sexual orientation. And then we also have to be able to divide up gender identity, which is how we feel inside versus gender expression, which is how we portray ourselves. And often thing, oftentimes those things are in transition as we go as well. Um, so can I send you back to my 10-year-old self and just have you sit down and say all of this? <laughs> I wish I had had that education at my 10-year-old self, too. It's uh, it's tricky. Well, and I grew up, again, in a religion that says, you know, gender is a spiritual characteristic. You're assigned gender before you're born. Uh, and coming out means not only uh, losing your family, but your salvation. Like, it's 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 pretty fucking dramatic when you when you boil it down. And that's the community I'm living in. Um, uh, so Casey, tell us a little bit about, uh, about the navigation of discovering yourself, uh, in light of you, you mentioned at the beginning, kind of becoming a cartoonist at the same time. And I'm going to, I'm going to toss in another question here, uh, an observation on your book. Um, you share a lot of really poignant personal stories in your book, but I've, I've noticed that you focus a lot of your work based on how you interact with strangers. Uh, medical professionals, people in coffee shops, yeah. and not so much on your your family or the people in your life, which I think was a really interesting take, but also keeps your story personal and poignant in some ways as well. Uh, so I know that was a big question, but tell us your story and uh, and how you put this book together. Hmm. Um, so I really, I, you know, when I imagine my life having not met Linda, I mean, I just like, shut. I, I can't, <laughs> that's as much as I can say, but I can't picture because I just, I met her at such a point in my life when I was really like unhappy. I was living in Wisconsin. I was a graduate student in rhetoric. I was like sitting in small rooms with people talking about really dense like texts. And it, it the winter is so cold and so dark. And I had just moved from New Mexico. So I was like, what am I doing with my life? Is this, do I really want a PhD in rhetoric? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I do. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I had, a, uh, I had read her work when I was a college student. I read 100 Demons um, mm -hmm. and loved it. And was like, I can't believe I get to, you know, read a comic in school. Um, and then, you know, I had a friend who I often, I'm like sort of, I'm a cautious person and like a, a late adopter. Um, 
so anyway, I thought about transitioning for 10 years before I did anything, you know, like every day. Um, so I almost didn't take this class with Linda, but I, I had a friend who had taken it with her the semester before, and then a friend who he and I took took the class together. Um, and I'm so, so I'm, that was like an utter turning point in my life. So I, once I took that first class, I was like, okay, cool. I'm just going to keep, I'm going to stay in grad school because then I can keep working with Linda. <laughs> um, and we worked really closely together for three years and, and, in taking, um, classes with her, uh, you know, we're usually doing like three to four pages of comics a week as homework. And then we're spending five hours a week in a, in a workshop during the week together. So the volume of work that I did during those years was like enormous. Um, so I had tons and tons and tons of work. Um, and it was, it was after about three years, like I was almost done with my PhD and um, I knew that I was going to be moving on to something else um, and leaving, which was, you know, tough to do. That uh, She said to me, she said, you know, honestly, I think, I think this is a book. Um, I would never, ever, ever have thought that. Um, but she, you know, there are a lot of trans folks who work with her um, in various stages of transition. She's sort of a trans magnet. Um, and I, I think there are a lot of reasons for that. One of them is just the way that she teaches her class. There's no critique. Um, so that really changes the kind of work that students do because we're never like putting stuff up on the wall and then everyone's going to rip it up, you know, because if someone is like dealing real tender stuff, when that's just sort of, you know, silently kind of witness, like we look at each other's work, but we're not tearing it up or critiquing it or giving our opinions on anything, like at all, very strictly, no. Um, so that allows, like that, uh, in that, that was the context in which I'm doing a lot of this work. It really sort of encourages you to like, you know, get into whatever there is for you to get into. Um, and then also we pick character names in class. So you get to actually pick your own name. And she was really one of the first people who um, was like, what do you want me, like, how, I'm, how do you want me to refer to you? And no one had really, mm. I'd only been asked that maybe like once before. Um, so she's very much like in tune. Um, so she made me feel like uh, years before I transitioned or even came out, like she really made me feel like a dude, like in a really nice way. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, that, there's, our, there's like an overrepresentation of trans folks who have been um, in her classes, which is awesome. Um, but basically what I did was I had done all this work both in class and outside of class, um, especially just it gave me a way to like, you know, um, Karen was talking about this, about kind of about spreading out and about like making this decision. Like, do I want to have like a frictionless existence mm. or um, like, do I want to blend in? Do I not want to stand out or do I want to like spread out and, you know, live my truth, live my own reality. Um, and so as I'm like starting to spread out, which is, you know, painful, awkward, um, you know, often there are a lot of experiences that I was having that I, you know, would avoid or dread. But then once I started making comics, like if you have to make, if you have to do three or four pages a week, and I'm really uh, into nonfiction as a creator, um, you have to have stuff happen in your life. So you can't like <laughs> stay in your house because you like things have to be 
have to be happening. So that had me actually start looking forward to things that I had dreaded before. I'm like, well, I'm going to go to the doctor and they're going to, I know they're going to give me some material for this week. Um, so that had me like really excited to, and then also, not, I, I mean, none of the comics, Chad, you know this, they're not like revenge comics, but there is something to being able to tell the story from your point of view and to draw someone however you want to draw them um, and have some kind of ownership over that. Uh, so I do, I do think there could be some revenge. I've written a memoir as an example, and I work really yeah. hard to like, to like orchestrate my faith story with leaving mm-hmm. my faith. But there's certainly a piece of it was like, fuck, I'm going to tell the truth about this mm-hmm. monster system that hurt me. <laughs> like, even yeah. as I'm healing the process, my, I mean, yeah. revenge wasn't my motive, but I do think there's some of that in there. It's very empowering to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, the way we, there were different folks, like I had a few different people who were readers and editors. And as like, we actually put the books together by physically laying it out in space, like a long line of dominoes um, in her amazing sort of comics classroom, which is like a shrine to all things comics. Um, and we laid all the pages out and we walk, physically walked through it um, and talked about like, oh, okay, I think kind of need a break here. So, you know, let's put this here, um, maybe a drawing here. And then we'll move into some more comics here. And then like this stuff is like heavy. And then let's put this next. Um, so we we walked through it, put it together that way. But there were some people who said, um, you know, you should take out all the comics in the books that are not all about trans stuff. And it should just be very narrowly like all comics related to things trans. And not every comic in the book is about, I mean, they're from experiences that I had or witnessed in the world um, as a trans person, but they're not all sort of like a trans one-on-one kind of a a thing. And Linda felt really strongly um, that that it was really important to just have that sort of whole sense of humanity and being a person um, that is bigger than just like a, a single issue well, and just to interject quickly, there's so many stories in your book uh, just told in your very, uh, I, I, this is meant as a compliment, your very simple but effective and powerful <laughs> art style, uh, where it's just little meetings of like, here's this stranger on the street that made me feel safe, or here's this person who saw me for who I am, or here's this person who was shitty but didn't realize it. And it's these little interactions where you start going, huh, I have so many of these stories in my life as a queer person. Uh, I, I really loved the poignancy of those moments kind of threaded together in your narrative. It's great. Mm, thank you. Yeah, I hadn't, no one, I mean, people have asked me many different kind of questions, but no one has actually ever asked that question about like, how come you have all these comics about strangers and not about people in your life? And I think that's something I should look into. Um, but it, <laughs> like, welcome, really, welcome to podcasting with a therapist. <laughs> yes, that's something I have never done. Okay. Noted. <laughs> Um, uh, so, uh, just for our listeners who may not be familiar with Linda Berry, tell us a little bit about Linda's work. I mean, she's absolutely legendary, of course. She really is. She's larger than, than life as a, as a personality. Um, she is, she loves teaching comics to people who stopped drawing when they were little kids. So she's sort of an evangelist, um, for recapturing drawing. Um, so she herself, I mean, she's a prolific cartoonist. She's got many, many books, um, you know, starting with The Good Times Are Killing Me. Um, but, and, and she's, you can find most of her stuff um, from Drawn and Quarterly, 
Ernie Pook's Comique um, was a, a syndicated weekly strip. Um, they came out for a long time. Um, so she's well known for her characters like Marlis. Um, 100 Demons is a memoir, uh, what it is, um, and picture this and syllabus and making comics are all really about craft. Um, and, and taking a lot of things actually that we do in class or the folks do in classes with her, workshops with her. Um, and she just shares those exercises um, because she's got a different way. And I have to say, I really am like of the, she's sort of like, a, I think about it like a school of thought or a school of comics um, that is different than some others. So um, her view is that there's no such thing as a bad drawing. Of course, there are people who are experts in drawing um, and have learned how to be such. Um, but her thought is, instead of teaching everybody how to draw, you know, correctly, um, like here's how you draw a face, here's how you draw something else. You just draw and draw and draw and draw um, everyone um, in, in, in her class or in her space. And the idea is that your organic style that's already been there, that has been there since whenever it is that you stop drawing, will come out um, and then we'll learn from looking at each other's work. So she actually doesn't ever instruct you, anyone on how to quote, how to draw or how to make comics aside from like a two minute cartooning lesson based on Ivan Brunetti's work. And there are a number of folks who have come through her classes who have um, gone on to publish books. Em uh, Ebony Flowers is one who, um, her book hot comb is out she's working on her her second one will be out at some point i don't know the title yet and then she's working on a third already but the same thing i mean if you looked at ebony's work you would think she had been drawing her whole life but no she started um you know in class with linda and then has put in all of these hours and she's got a really unique style i think as a result of that now as an out transgender man who loves himself and has a family and a life and a story I can guarantee that as you're teaching classes and putting your book out there that you have inspired so many other people to start to love themselves and tell their own stories. I uh, I often, well, pre-pandemic at least, I used to travel around Utah and Wyoming and uh, other places nearby to little communities. And I, I work as a public speaker and a, and a grief counselor often. And I would always work into the conversation. I wasn't there to talk about queerness, but I would always work into the conversation. I've got a husband and kids at home, just very briefly. And inevitably, in every small town, there would be a person who comes up and says, I've got a brother who's gay, or I'm gay, or you know, my dad is gay. And it's every community, every space. Uh, tell me a little bit about the conversations you've been able to have with others by sharing your story and being out and proud, being that, uh, that nail that sticks out proudly, as Karen talked about. <laughs> um, well, I do, so as a professor, that's part of why there are things that are wonderful about being a professor and then there are things that are not. <laughs> but one of the best things is being like, I feel that, you know, it's really important to have representation of, of queer folks and trans people in all different areas. But like for students who, you know, students looked up to faculty, at their colleges um people pay more attention to me because i have a phd sometimes anyways um and so i feel like being out like it's it's a responsibility i feel like it's a responsibility to do that and so um i come out on the f with one exception 
um, I always come out on the first day of class and then I just casually talk about it. You know, I'll, I might mention I teach communication and, you know, we're talking about nonverbal communication. I may talk about walking down the street as a woman versus uh, as a visibly queer person versus as someone who passes as a, a straight man. Um, or actually, I'm right as all different kinds of men, but who passes as cisgender anyway. So I may mention that just in passing, um, you know, like like you mentioned, Chad. But I, I have found that, um, you know, it often does create space. Like I was shocked the first time it happened um, when I had a student just we're having a discussion, not about gay stuff. And I had a student raise his hand and just casually talk about um, his boyfriend. And uh, very early in the semester, and I thought, oh man, you know, that's awesome um, that we have a space where he feels comfortable doing that. Even at a liberal school, it's still, um, you know, like there's still not like a really loud gay presence around our campus. Um, so I thought that was really bold. And then I often hear from students later on. I, would, I love getting these emails. It's like, and they're often from trans women or trans feminine people, actually, uh, more often than trans male folks. And I don't know why that is, but I'll get a, an email from a student who's like, hey, just want to let you know, like I came out, this is my name look at this cute picture of me from graduation. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is just like, this is why, you know, I do this. So, um, or I'll have, um, I, d I do get emails like fairly regularly that are like, hey, can you talk to this student for me? Or, um, hey, I have so-and-so as a teacher and I'm just, I'm trying to figure out coming out, you know, can we meet up and can we talk about it? And I just think that that's such a gift. And a lot of times we have very different stories and very different identities, but yeah. um, for them to just know that, you know, there are queer people out here who, are, and they say this to me too, like, well, you're, you're like alive and successful and, you know, like you have a, a family and a cute dog and, you know, like if somebody loves you, because a lot of times people have this such grim view of, for good reason, um, because, you know, things are hard. But like a lot of times, I don't know, we focus a lot on how hard things are and not that like you can really make it. Like yeah. not make it like achieve some, you know, queer American dream, but make it as in like be a person who is a part of your community. Um, a person who loves themselves and loves them li their life and is surrounded by people who love you and have a family who loves you. And I think right. that is the queer American dream. I mean, whatever yeah, I that means so. for I every so. person. Sure. I, I think we, we could cover a number of topics that we're not gonna get to today. How trans people represent such a larger portion of the population than people expect. How there's no mm -hmm. right or wrong way to identify your gender. How trans people are often the victims of violence or suicidal thoughts. We could talk about testosterone and estrogen and surgical options and finding a doctor that you trust. Uh, any of our listeners, uh, you can, I'll, I'll share my contact info at the end. You can reach out to me and I am so happy to hear your story mm -hmm. and connect you. And I think any of the people here would do the same. Um, we won't cover all of that today, but I want to say uh, Casey's book covers a lot of those things and talks about uh, ways to answer those questions and find those safe spaces. Uh, one question I do want to ask, often trans people get the opportunity to choose their own family and to choose their own mm -hmm. identity. Uh, how did you choose the name Casey for yourself? <laughs> well, um, when I was at Wisconsin, 
they didn't have a name change policy. So your email had to be the name on your birth certificate, um, which is a name that I had never used. Um, so I, like when I was sending emails, like that felt bad to me, obviously. So uh, like the name I had been using was Katie. Catherine's on my birth certificate. My last name is counselor. So I was just signing emails KC, but I, and I hadn't even- Which are your initials, I presume. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Um, and there was a trans professor um, who was teaching like a gender and sexuality class. And I had written to them and they wrote back, should I call you KC? And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. Yes, you should. And, and from that moment on, because I knew as soon as I started teaching undergrads, I was like, they, I, I can't, like, they cannot like look at me they, and call me Katie. Like that is just like, I can't, I can't do it. But I also didn't want to pick another name necessarily. Um, so Casey felt close, but different and still a little queer. Um, people comment on it all the time. They're like, what's your real name? I'm like, that's my real name. <laughs> We're depending on who they are. I'll tell them more, but strangers say stuff too. Um, and let me toss out. It is absolutely inappropriate to ask a trans person what their original name was. A lot of people call that their dead name. It's their old identity. It's also very inappropriate to ask anything about surgery or genitals or anything that's so fucking personal and you have no right to know. Uh, so <laughs> just draw a very hard boundary and love the people in front of you without indulging PSA. their weird curiosities. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. And so I that that's what worked for me, but it really was an accident. Um, to, to just have someone ask, is this what you want to be called? I hadn't thought of it. And then it was, you know, from then on, took it up. It's an incredible story. I love it. I love it too. Mm -hmm. uh, Tristan, do you have any questions you'd like to ask Casey? Uh, well, I hadn't planned on uh, on spending money tonight, but I'm looking at the uh, <laughs> looking at the uh, the get the book link on your website. Um, mm -hmm. Is that the the best place to get it? Yeah. Yeah, and Casey yeah. sent me, when I ordered, Casey sent me a book with like a, a nice little inscription, like a little card. It was cute. It was great. It's Super personal. Nice. <laughs> uh, Karen, how about you? Do you have any questions for Casey? I'm just sitting here entirely moved and feeling emotional, a little misty eyed. So I don't know. I'm just like taking it all in. Uh, usually it takes me a while to think of a question after the awe uh dissipates <laughs> there's a there's an energy here that is just lovely uh, i want to i want to close this portion of our conversation with just uh i don't have the exact statistics but when i first came out i heard 10 percent of the population is queer and one percent is trans conservatively and the the numbers even in just the last 15 years have expanded to say like 30 percent of the population is queer uh 10 to 15 non-binary like the numbers are increasing and there's a lot of theories we could talk about, but uh, you know queer people in your life, you know trans people in your life, you know non-binary people in your life, everyone listening to this. There's someone in your family, in your community, I promise you. Uh, so be good to the people around you and create safety because you don't know how much that means to people going through it. Um, Casey, the sharing of your story is really powerful. Uh, to nerd out now, because we're gonna get nerdy for a while, what's your connection to, uh, to Marvel or the X-Men? And do you have a favorite character? Oh no. <laughs> Here's the part where, where you guys um, 
Chad, you might be like, why did we have Casey come on the podcast? Oh, no, I know exactly um, why you're here. Everything okay, we good. just heard, I think, is the answer to this. Yes. Okay, great. I actually know very little about this whole universe. And I was telling my sister last night um, that I was coming on this podcast and that I was reading the issue. And I was like, this is like very complicated. There's a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> Well, like, you also, uh, you're yeah. also you're like joining us at the end of a seven part story too so i'm sorry about that. i appreciate that but yeah she was like hello that's why they call it a universe that's a good point <laughs> good point and i'll just right. just to give you an idea um when i was reading up until like an hour ago i really thought that magneto was magento like magenta <laughs> so that's where we're at I love that so much, actually. And what, one of my goals in setting up this podcast initially was to have all types of professionals represented from all different spaces. I mean, we have a novelist, an artist, uh, uh, and a graphic novelist all here from different levels of fandom and professionalism. And I, I think it's lovely. Okay, the, the common theme on this podcast is we're reading the 60s books, which no one has read. And that's kind of the point <laughs> is we're going back to the beginning and exploring the early stuff. Uh, I mean, I'm going to go see Doctor Strange later tonight, which has the Scarlet Witch in it. And she has her... Mm-hmm. Uh, her origins in the 60s and is in the issue we'll read today, which probably not many modern fans have read in the first place. Um, Okay, so let's transition into today's issue review, if we are okay. And let me just say, uh, Casey, I'll be in touch, but we're going to be posting images from your book on social media as we promote this episode. I'll also give links. uh, I hope you see a whole buttload of orders come in. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. That's, a, that's the appropriate measurement term for graphic novel orders. They, <laughs> they come in the buttload. <laughs> um, so let's uh, begin. We are reading a, a rather innuendo-heavy issue. So oh, yes, my yes. oh, my God. There's some really inappropriate ones. Uh, so let's talk about uh, the cover very briefly. Uh, I love a classic battle cover where you see one team stacked against the other. Uh, we get to see the Avengers on one side, the X-Men on the other I believe this is the first appearance of a person of color in an X-Men book, even though this is an Avengers Mm. book. Uh, I think uh, uh, we saw Black Panther at the very end of Avengers number 45, right before this. I'm sorry, X-Men number 45. I think this is the first appearance of a person of color in the 60s books, which is crazy. Uh, What are your thoughts on this cover? What stands out to you? What did you like or dislike? The two girls get to fight each other, of course. Wasp versus Marvel Girl. <laughs> we get Giant Man versus, Cy- or I'm sorry, Goliath versus Cyclops, Hawkeye versus Iceman, Black Panther versus Beast, which are the same team ups or uh, uh, fights that happen in the book. Uh, Angel is suspended in a little cage behind them. Uh, did you guys like this cover? I do like the uh, the idea that they're fighting over Angel. I know that is not what hap- what is happening, but that is the story being told by this cover. Like <laughs> Angel. I just like their their giant muscly bodies. <laughs> there's some good looking there's some good looking you know? uh, characters here. <laughs> Karen, what were your thoughts? I was just gonna make a bad joke about uh Angel was pondering his orb a little too deeply and got trapped <laughs> inside. <laughs> <laughs> gotta be careful around orbs. <laughs> I'm very weirded out by Black Panther's short-lived uh, mouthless mask. So we know yes. Black Panther with the full mask. The the mouth mm. gone is a strange look for him. If you had to wear one of these costumes, uh, which one would you wear? Who would you cosplay as? I think I'd go with as Cyclops all the way, although I'm not sure I have the body for it. <laughs> I, I'd go Jean Grey. That looks, uh, that looks very liberating. <laughs> Drafty at the very least. Yeah. 
I've really always liked this Goliath outfit. The like yeah. whiskers on the head or the antenna are kind of weird, but uh, I don't know. I like it. I think that's meant to be reminiscent of Hank Pym's previous Ant-Man identity. Yeah, that's the only explanation, but yeah. Uh, Casey, how about you? Which costume would you wear? I think it would also be Goliath. I mean, I am drawn to the angel, but I find it a little annoying to wear wings. <laughs> it would be, do we, well, here's a question. Do we get the wings and the size to go along with the wasp? Ooh, I, you know, mm. I think that's not possible. Or just the costume. <laughs> that would be fun though, the size. There's so much red and yellow uh, and then like blue and purple and uh, Black Panther kind of stands out as the only one that's uh, that's kind of unique. Everybody else is all bright colors. Mm-hmm. I guess Iceman too. Iceman's white. Um, so as we're starting this issue, uh, this was published in June 1968. It's r- written by Roy Thomas, who was really invested in his Avengers run. He didn't care a lot about his previous X-Men run, but he loved his Avengers run. Uh, pencils by the famous uh, John Buscema, uh, with inks by George Tuska, and letters by Artie Simon. These are all names familiar to 60s readers, uh, but it's a big group of white men <laughs> writing a story about mostly white men. <laughs> Um, uh, Casey, I'm here to support you, but will you kind of walk us through the first five pages of the book and kind of tell us what happens? Chad, I, you really, I hope you're really, really right here with me. I literally have like seven pages of notes next to the computer. We're good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I have been writing uh, with Marvel for a number of years now, and I still feel like I barely understand Marvel. Um, <laughs> I think anybody who tells you they understand Marvel is either deluding themselves or lying. Mm. So don't, don't like, feel inside bad. Inside joke. Inside joke. Past reference. Okay. <laughs> yeah, these are complicated characters with complicated histories, even in 1968. So yeah, I'm here for you. Okay. So in this first page, there's a whole lot going on. Um, and so Cyclops has escaped from Magneto's prison. Yeah. Uh-huh, and just defeated Quicksilver in the previous issue. That's kind of the last okay. thing that happened. Yeah. Um, and then he's coming upon folks and he's like, are you all the real Avengers or are you the fake Avengers? Yes. Uh, and Hawkeye's mm-hmm. saying, let's just say it ain't the strawberry alarm clock. And I had to look. Okay, this okay. Pause. What does that mean? Strawberry alarm clock is an obscure 1960s psychedelic band. Who's who's oh. most whose most famous song is Incense and Peppermints? That's Write it. that down yeah, and go yeah, yeah. listen to it later because it's fucking great. Will in... this be on the will this be on the exam later? No, 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 no. It's just worth listening to. That's a bonus to. question. It's phenomenal. I feel like they're in that movie uh The Valley of the Dolls her <laughs> as just like a band playing at the party and they play Incense and Peppermints. It's so it's such a great. I just want to go use shrooms when I hear it. Like it's great. <laughs> On the second page, I really was taken by the the very um, sexy body slam that the panther does um, of Cyclops. Yeah, just fucking. He just puts his hand over his eye, like visor and slams him into the ground. The uh, mm-hmm. the Avengers have. We're going to learn later. This was a ruse. They're 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 pretending to fight the X Men, mm-hmm. but the X Men don't know that. Uh, the Avengers are just full on attacking Cyclops, professing to think that uh, that they are not the real X Men. 
And Cyclops is assuming that the Avengers are like Magneto's robots. He's tricking them and trying to attack them. There always has to be a reason for our heroes to fight, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, and they're like, so they want to be, they want to go, they want him to take them to Magneto for Cyclops to, right? Yes, yeah. Except Cyclops is too busy fighting them. He's like, fuck you, you're robots. I'm not doing this. Right. There's a whole lot of like, y'all are not really who you say you are. Yeah. Everyone's deductive reasoning is just terrible. He's like, Uh this is the only possible reason you could be doing this. It's like, or all the other ones that like, there's just a misunderstanding or you're both confused. (laughs) (laughs) Must be a trick. Cyclops finally figures it out uh, just in the nick of time is reasonable for all of one panel before he becomes mind controlled again because there's always got half there always has to be an excuse to fight and i'm just going to say early on black panther is my star player in this whole issue he doesn't get he's a the lot only of good guy yeah he's he's brilliant casey have you seen the black panther movie are you a fan i have yeah 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 yeah, his portrayal here, he he is the only person of color, but he is the smartest, most reasonable, most kick-ass character here as he fights first Cyclops and later Beast. I think he's fantastic. He's the only person here with dignity. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what is the, okay, so Cyclops hits Panther with like a, a big pink splat. An optic blast, they're called, and it says splat. <laughs> An optic blast. Yeah, that looks like. (laughs) And then, and yeah, so he's just busting things up. Um, The ledge from underneath Goliath. Um, Lots of aggressive um, (laughs) fighting and smashing. Uh, And then we get a flashback. Angel previously escaped and was sent to find the Avengers. Uh, but we get this uh-huh. bizarre little scene with Seymour the skydiver. Tell us what happens. <laughs> yes. So I'm not exactly sure why we why Seymour the skydiver is, is part of this story, but I like that. No, there's no um, point. <laughs> okay, okay. So, you know, there's just a guy who's out there, you know, he's trying to, to break a skydiving record. Um, so he's midair over the planes, jumping out of a airplane. Um, and then all of a sudden he sees Angel, a guy with wings flying, moving very quickly, um, who is trying to escape, you know, like trying to not be seen by, you know, flying high. So then this poor guy never pulls his parachute um, too soon. Um, and I think he just, I think he like ruined his his jump attempt maybe, or he, people are going to make fun of him. He says, man, the Civil Aeronautics Board's going to hear about this, which is so stupid. Yeah, you know, (laughs) the the hot gossip, you know. Um, Uh, Anyway, the the Avengers are kicking it at their mansion watching TV and Angel busts in. What happens? Well, what are they watching on TV? Uh, It looks like the news, uh, something that resulted in the loss of 17 lives. No, word from our sponsor. Um. Oh, then yeah. Then what happens is they hear the alarms on the roof, uh, and then you know they go up there, Goliath Panther, and then they find Angel who's trapped in their little. It's like some kind of trap, like a security system blast beam thing, um, and he's like, you know, let me out. They're burning my wings, and then again, it's like, are why are you here? There's like distrust moments, like. Are you in a disguise? 
Why didn't you come in the front door? There's a there's a theme with the X-Men, Casey. The reason one of the reasons they're so beloved is they tend to give voice to people who have felt like outcasts or different disenfranchised mm-hmm. society. Uh, mutants are treated differently than regular superheroes who got their powers in another way. So this this little block where Angel goes, always, everywhere the X-Men go, the same maddening distrust of mutants. I think Quicksilver had mm. the right idea. Quicksilver is, uh, of course, going with Magneto's plans at this time, saying mutants should rule, like we should take over, uh, instead of uh, Professor X, who's like, let's live peacefully among them. So this kind of identity, its uh, almost as queer people, we could be like, ugh, here's more straight people treating us like shit. Like, I'm just going to go back to the queer people where I belong, almost right. that type of energy. You are who you say you are, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have so- to say, I, I do love how they... Um, like the names that they use for each other, like the nicknames and just the, the shit talk, like Mile High Meatball. <laughs> oh, really crying me up. It's uh, there's a lot of insults. The Avengers in this issue behave like 14 year old boys, like all the way through. They're ridiculous. Their infighting is is just stupid. Uh, well done navigating all of the chaos of this very crazy battle with lots of characters. <laughs> Chad, you're very generous. Thank you. <laughs> there would have been easier issues for you to join us on. So thank you for your patience and uh, and uh, 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 I'm trying to think of the right word, uh, perseverance. <laughs> <Through the chaos. laughs> uh, uh, Karen, do you want to take us through the next five pages? Let us know what sure. happens. Uh, and also I want to just... <laughs> no, I want to point out uh, for anybody who doesn't know, these uh, old issues were really kind of uh, put together in a way where the dialogue came last. So the writer or editor would come up with the story or plot line, like an outline, and they would give it to the artist who would just draw what they think, how that would play out. And then the writer would get the pages and fill in the, uh, what they, to make sense of the art. And so that's all I can think about when there's like the scene of the skydiver like John Bushima was just like, I'm just going to draw the skydiver. And then <laughs> Thomas is just like, uh, yeah, I don't know. And then uh, also on page six with this uh, um, like football team in like the third panel in there. So basically it picks up uh, where um, yeah, Goliath is like, let me just whisper into the intercom and then bellows Avengers assemble, which is their thing to get the whole team, which is only two other people, I guess. <laughs> and then they they hop in there um and, and just just to note in the previous <laughs> issues the avengers have lost hercules captain america quicksilver and scarlet witch like this is not the team's finest moment they are lucky black panther came along yeah, it's so funny the line from cyclops he's like if you tried if you wanted to fool me into thinking you're the avengers you would have had hercules instead of black <laughs> panther which is very funny in retrospect um but I guess, and then they get in their like jet, uh, which the second panel isn't super clear, but it, the machinery looks cool, which is like a highlight of this issue. It's a Quinjet, which is an right. Iron Man designed airship. Yeah. And uh, they fly over some kids playing football for no reason. And it kind of looks like the kid is throwing the jet like it's the football. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and then immediate, almost immediately, they arrive at uh, this like island that Magneto's base is on. 
Uh, and they note very quickly, Magneto has a giant castle on top of this. And Angel's like, the castle is missing. It must be retractable, which I'm assuming the artist forgot to draw it. Right. <laughs> and then Roy Thomas put a bubble in about how, like, oh, there's a reason the castle's missing. They <laughs> just found Magneto's proud tower flaccid. It's, it's, all, there, <laughs> yeah. it's all right. There are other inferences. <laughs> Karen, uh, yeah, yeah. So they're flying in and then they pick up on their instruments that there's some sort of like signal being broadcast from inside. And then the wasp who kind of disappears after this scene, but she finds like a little uh, like homing beacon in Angel's wings, which I don't. Okay. And then they immediate like, oh, the only explanation is that you are selling us out. And then they like tie him up. <laughs> and uh, then they, the, aircraft turns into like a submarine boat type thing and they uh start sneaking around the island and, and in, in this pedal yeah. it's my favorite nickname in the whole thing someone calls goliath tall oh yeah tall socks, tall socks. <laughs> so <cool. Yeah. laughs> i don't think they say it in this but i feel like high high pockets is another pockets. good one yeah they call them a lot they call them high pockets a lot back then which is amazing that's very creative <laughs> so then at last, the uh, the main feature of this issue, we finally learn what the arrow we saw in the panel of X, the last X-Men issue, which uh, there's a big caption box that says, now at last, you know the startling secret of that arrow on page nine, panel five of this month's X-Men from uh, the, Stan Lee. Very phallic looking arrow that they're exactly. searching for a crevice to shoot it into. They, uh, I almost feel bad uh, pointing this out, but they really wanted this to be noticed, didn't they? Yeah, yes. there, there was a note in the, that issue. It's just like a background detail. Or it's like it almost may have been like colored the same as the background, but it's like, look at this arrow. What could it mean? Found out in Avengers. But uh, and, we, and we talk about that in our review of X Men yeah. 45 with Douglas Wolk, which is uh, which is great. So oh, nice. make sure you listen to that episode if you haven't. So uh, we learned that it was a an eye spy arrow that Hawkeye shot, and then that allowed them to um, spy on Cyclops talking with Quicksilver in that issue. And then again, it's like, oh, of course they're in league. And then uh, they leave Angel on the Quinjet. They're going to go inside, and they Angel leaves them with the ominous uh, warning that you'll see me perhaps when you least expect it. And uh, of course, that's the end of the flashback. And of course, Magneto is observing all of this. And he's like, oh, my, well, my wonderful plan is working. Very quickly, only if Angel consents. But if he's tied up like that and is wearing those boots, I am into it. His <laughs> <laughs> great suspenders look. Mm-hmm. And I think that posture might cut off his circulation after a while. Don't ask me how I know. <laughs> Um, uh, so tell us what happens with Magneto and Toad here. Uh, you know, Magneto's just kind of, um, he's so great and he's planned everything out to the last detail and he's keeps berating Toad who, um, is just like a sniveling toady and, um, calls him a brainless cowering Caliban. And, um, uh, anybody know where the reference Caliban comes from? It's uh, Tempest, isn't it? yeah, yeah. It's from Shakespeare's The Tempest. Uh, Caliban's like the deformed slave. Uh, there's a later X Men character called Caliban who's one of the Morlocks, and I love him. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he's one of my favorites. But yeah, uh, that's a Shakespeare reference. Uh, Magneto is very well read. Uh, Despot. <laughs> his his insult diary is full of of references. <laughs> um, Scarlet Witch appears briefly. I think the only time in the issue, maybe I can't quite recall. She shows up back at the end again. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, she's like confused about things. There's a lot of gnarly mouths on this page of uh, both Toad and Magneto as they bellow. And, um, you know, Toad just wants to hype up Magneto the whole way. He's like, oh, you're so great. You planned for everything. And he's looking out for him. And Magneto is just smacking him around and uh, treating him like trash, which will become uh, important by the end of the issue. Uh, But this is where Toad starts to kind of be like, oh, why do you keep beating me i'm the only one who loves you and magneto's like because you're a little gargoyle and I love, what can your frog like powers avail me that's like good mm. question <laughs> and then there's, um, there's toad on my wall right the oh I, yeah, I, I love him <laughs> this isn't my favorite depiction of toad but you know it's like i do like the colors the like orange with the gray Kind of a nice. I'll save my toad commentary for just a minute. <laughs> um, we get some good posing for Magneto on page ten as he points, and uh, Toad is cowering in the in the caring arms of Scarlet Witch. And then we cut back to the Avengers who are starting to bicker and like just be assholes, and uh, Black Panther's just like. You know, we have a job to do, but um, that doesn't keep Hawkeye from taking a swing at Goliath and they all jump on each other. And uh, I don't know where uh, the wasp is at this point. Maybe she's just really tiny, (laughs) too small to be drawn. But uh, yeah, they're all just fighting. And it's so it it strikes us so weird. You start to think like, is there something that's like, mind controlling them or like affecting their mood because it it happens pretty abruptly so we're again we later learn that the avengers are are pretending supposedly that's a like a late issue reveal Uh, it's a weird thing uh but yeah they're just acting like assholes all of them frankly magneto being the biggest one of course it definitely Um, feels like it was just you know written on the fly and it was just like oh we'll just have them fight now and then later on towards the end of the issue they're like oh that was our plan all along. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, Tristan, will you take us through the uh, pages 11 through 15? Sure. Um, so the Avengers continue um, being awful to each other. Um, I I do choose to believe that this is an act. It's the only way uh, I can come out of this with a, with a semblance of respect for them, because otherwise, um, as I said, uh, the Black Panther is the only one who... Uh, who leaves this without, or leaves this with any dignity? Um, he tries to uh, to stop um, stop the fight. Tells them to knock it off, and Goliath just hurls him through a wall. Hawkman is just very insulting, and uh, Black Panther says uh, that maybe he should leave because they're not worthy of his respect. He does. He um, uh, he he's the he, he's the only one of them who's uh, who's uh, speaking any reason speaking reasonably right now. Um, 
And I, though I realize this is the 60s, they do on this page uh, refer to the Black Panther in some extremely unsettling and, unfor and unfortunate ways. Uh, oh, yes. Sometimes. Um, I don't even know if I want to repeat it on the podcast. But I mean, there's uh, one where they call him a self-centered second-rate Tarzan, which is just yeah. fucking awful. This is the king of an African country. It is not mm -hmm. okay. And of course, it's Hank Pym who says it. And I love Pym in his way, but he's a fucking asshole. <laughs> he's a terrible character. <laughs> so at the end of it, uh, the wasp uh, shows up. Uh, who knows where, where she's been uh, until this point. But she um, she uh, finally seems to um, to get them to stop squabbling right as Goliath threatens to turn the Black Panther into, quote, a panther skin rug. God, he's an asshole. <laughs> um, on the next, uh, so on the next page, on page twelve, we catch up with uh, with Magneto giving us a uh, his villainous exposition, um, saying that uh, this is all going according to his plan. The Avengers are disgruntled with each other, and now is his time to strike. And then, in a very dramatic pose, he pronounces that the instrument of his revenge shall be the X-Men. Uh, he continues um, giving, uh, giving his exposition to, uh, to Code, who is now at this point, maybe always has been the audience surrogate. And Magneto also continues to be an incredible asshole to him for, for no readily apparent reason. Something uh, which uh, we went over in, uh, in quite, in, some detail in the uh, the trial of Magneto episode, so I don't want I, I don't want to uh, to go into that again too much here, um, except just to just to point it out. Yeah, if you want to hear me and Tristan talk about Magneto for four hours, go back, <laughs> go back to the trial of Magneto. Uh, we also we learn later that Magneto has a bunch of alien technology that he's gotten either from the Stranger or from Astra. For our long term listeners, that's <laughs> valid. But there's, that's where a lot of this weird fucking technology comes from. Uh, Tristan, go ahead. So on the top of page 13, this is uh, the, the panel I alluded to earlier when uh, Cyclops uh, catches on and is reasonable for exactly one dialogue bubble, right? He says, now that I've had a minute to think, it's obvious what actually happened and comes up with the, uh, the real story. But then at that moment, um, one, uh, there, uh, something happens to the uh, the x-men that happens to them an awful lot they become mind controlled um by magneto who, uh, who said earlier in the last panel that he had used some, that he had um he, when he had captured them earlier he'd used some special technology to weaken their mental resistance and uh this plan uh, actually goes swimmingly for him because the event the uh, the x-men uh, are immediately convinced now that they have to fight the Avengers and destroy them. Uh, in the last panel, uh, John Gray is the only one of them who um, who even questions this, but the others are just ready to uh, to to kill immediately without thinking about it. Oh, mind control technology! The easiest story reference to get people to fight each other. <laughs> mm -hmm. Then I love um, that middle panel. Yeah, it's pretty panel. It's like all pink and, and yellow and their heads are off their bodies floating around. Little yeah, gods. I should have mentioned that. That is very creatively interesting with all the, the swirling 
the, the swirling yellow and the uh, the pink and orange. The Kirby mm -hmm. crackle all around their heads. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Mm. So at the uh, the top of page 14, the X-Men and the Avengers uh, finally meet. Um, the X-Men uh, proclaim that they immediately have to kill them, kill the Avengers. <laughs> Uh, there is some quite obvious innuendo here when, uh, uh, <laughs> with the beast talking about this being his most palpitating <laughs> pleasure. Um, <laughs> then the the Hawkman immediately answers, "This ain't gonna be a taffy poll." Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, that, that, oh, I mean, this oh, is, Roy this Thomas, is not, this is not subtext. This is this is text. So I'm. I, yeah. it, it's fair game for me to talk about. <laughs> Um, you know, it's, it's when I was um, on on these podcasts before during some of the uh, the fight scenes. Um, I, I, I um, one of the things I said was uh, to, to describe something else was that they proceed to marvel things up, and that's really the only way I can think to describe if, uh, describe what's going on here. Is they immediately begin to marvel things up with. Um, with some very elaborately drawn, uh, somewhat confusing fight scenes. Mm -hmm. uh, the Beast takes a moment to be casually sexist to the Wasp, uh, but compared to other things that happen in this issue, that's uh, that's almost a uh, that's almost a minor a, a, a minor sin at this point. Um, on page fifteen. Uh, this is where I was a little bit confused by some of the art. It took me a couple reads to figure out that what's going on here is that Cyclops uh, is zapping some some kind of machinery in the ceiling and causing it to collapse on the Goliath, who is who does become uh, who um, is removed from the action for all of two panels before immediately uh, surprising Cyclops again and uh, and tossing him into the air. And in the meantime, uh, many of the other heroes continue to marvel things up. Iceman uh, uh, creates an ice wall to uh, to block a shot from Hawkeye. And then the beast goes uh, tumbling in a wrestling move um, tossed, by the, uh, tossed by the Black Panther. Um, everybody's posing quite dramatically. I feel mm -hmm. like the, I feel like the Black Panther just kicked him in the nuts in that panel. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it sure looks like yeah. it. But the, it at the very least, close uh, close enough to uh, to let him know that he could have, and no one deserves it. And no one deserves it more than Hank McCoy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Beast Beast superpower, Casey, is like giant feet and agility. Like uh. he has he has like uh, feet that he can grip the ceiling with. That, so that's like literally his mutant power. Yeah, and that panel really is a it's a crotch shot. Yeah. yeah, like, like there's no full, faces. It's like a full ass shot. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Right on. Um, as we're as we're kind of wrapping up the issue, we have this crazy chaotic battle that continues. Iceman freezes Hawkeye's feet. Hawkeye hits Iceman with some gooey putty and calls him Cool Hand Luke, which is a reference to an old classic movie uh, and also an ice pun, right? Because Cool Hand Luke. Uh, Pim squeezes Cyclops's head and he's like, oh no, you're hurting my head. Uh, Angel finally escapes his imprisonment and shuts down Magneto's mind control machine. Uh, as always, they're running out of pages, so they got to wrap things up really quickly. Uh, Angel is awesome. And my favorite moment of this whole issue, he just punches Magneto right in the face with a batak and then he tosses Toad into the wall with a whoom. Uh, the Avengers 
then reveal that they were tricking Magneto the whole time. We knew that this was the real X-Men. We were just like playing along, which is so stupid. Uh, and Magneto is pissed. His whole goal here is to get Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch back into his good graces. He does not know yet that they are his children, but he wants to destroy the Avengers once and for all to try to prove to them that humans are against them. Uh, Notably, so, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, please. But, uh, notably, um, while the Avengers uh, were, play, um, were playing Magneto for, uh, for a fool all along, the X-Men were always uh, being played by everybody. Um, <laughs> yeah, Magneto had them spot on. The Avengers famously met the X-Men in X-Men number nine over the, in Europe when they were fighting Lucifer. And it was kind of a similar thing. They had to fight them for no reason. And that they, I don't know, they, they, these teams don't have a good history. There was literally a year long event of the Avengers versus the X-Men a few years back. Uh, these are two teams that do not get along historically. Uh, Magneto tells Toad after trapping the heroes in a section of his headquarters, he tells Toad to push a button that will self-destruct that section of the headquarters, literally while just slapping Toad across the face. And Toad is thinking, he orders me to save him by exploding the chamber beyond, but strikes me as he does so. Thus has he ever rewarded my unwavering loyalty. Now, Toad has been this kind of pathetic, miserable character through his whole publication history at this point. And in this issue, there's a seminal change in his character in which he turns against Magneto and frankly never returns until... The modern comic, Trial of Magneto number five, uh, which our modern readers will know what happens there. But this is a change for Toad. His whole publication history shifts after this. And I'll, I'll share more about that in just a minute. Toad turns against Magneto and decides to hit a button that will destroy the entire headquarters. He is sick of getting beat up. Uh, he skips out in a non-metal ship, which he says, you built one ship out of non-metals just to prove you could do it. And I'm He's going to leave now. <laughs> Magneto grips the ship like, save me. And Toad stomps on his hand and sends him plummeting into the ocean. Uh, and the, the uh, entire headquarters explode as the heroes, we assume, escape in one quick panel because they're out of room. Uh, and then we see Magneto's head, our helmet, float to the surface. Uh, Toad notably says, the Toad calls no man master ever again. So in a lot of ways, this issue is Toad's uh, declaration of independence from Magneto's abuse, which is a really kind of beautiful thing, because 60s Magneto is an absolute asshole. Uh, Casey, or or uh, let's start with Casey here. What did you think about the Toad-Magneto relationship in this issue? It's kind of the focus in a weird way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, well, I mean... Of course, like Toad stands out from all of these other characters in terms of like how he looks. And it's so egregious, like how shitty, you know, he's treated. And he's like, why do you keep hitting me? <laughs> I'm just trying to do right by you. Um, and it's so satisfying when he just stomps on the hand. And of course, it's like hubris, you know, that has the shit be there anyway, just to prove you could. So yeah, that was a delightfully satisfying moment. The people are undone by their own their own stuff. A nice conclusion to uh, to an epic kind of crazy issue. Uh, Karen and Tristan, this, do you have any thoughts on the Magneto-Toad relationship? This, um, this is why I, I, I uh, it's in spite of everything, this is why I still read and love these comics is uh, moments like these where everything shifts and we learn something surprising about, uh, about characters that we thought we knew uh, and thought had fit into a certain place in the story. Um, you know, the, uh, this whole, uh, this whole story has been built to us as, um, 
if, as you know, the Avengers versus the X-Men as their story. But this is this is Toad's story. He's the important figure here. Mm -hmm. um, he's what I'm remembering most from this issue. And uh, Toad will return with the Avengers uh, in an Avengers comic where he becomes the captive of Archon the Magnificent and then kind of strikes out on his own. We'll we'll talk more about him in just a minute. Uh, Karen, did you have any thoughts there? Um, the, you know, the thing that makes me think of the most is because um, I, you know, I'm more familiar um, with like more modern representation of Toad, but like understanding that this is sort of the origin of the character and sort of one of my entries to the X-Men was the Pride of the X-Men show, uh, yeah, yeah. the pilot and uh, Toad is very much this character in that. Um, but I kept thinking about um, the alternate reality story, Earth X. The It's sort of like a future when they bill it as like, what if everybody on Earth became mutants, but it, the twist is that everybody is actually an inhuman but it's kind of like the future of all these different characters and in that one they flip the toad and magneto roles so that like toad has the magnetic powers and magneto is like the toady who's dressed up in the toad costume and is sort of like and that's sort of like my most uh, indelible like relationship with this like uh sure, yeah, dynamic yeah. But seeing it flipped is interesting. Um, the episode right before yours, Casey, uh, we interviewed Douglas Wolk, who is uh, a Marvel scholar. He literally wrote a book about reading every book Marvel has ever published. And one wow. of his one of his big points in his book, and he's lovely, he's a lovely person. Uh, one of his points was like, there's no right or wrong way to appreciate this universe. You can jump in at any point, take it in any order you want to. It's just a journey. But this was a hard first issue to jump in. <laughs> yeah, that's really... <laughs> There's 13 <laughs> characters running around. It's the end of a pretty crazy set of issues that like span multiple series. Uh, my my hope was that you really enjoyed the art. What did you think of the art <laughs> of John Buscema in this book? Well, I mean, truly the muscles stand out. <laughs> <laughs> like, no question, no question. But I, you know, they are just so colorful too. I love the use of color. And that one, that mind control panel, I just have never seen a panel quite like that before, which is always like, oh man, what a good idea. <laughs> yeah, it's really pretty. Yeah, how do you represent like a, you know, uh, an alternate mind universe that you then snap back from? That's exactly how you do it. <laughs> uh, Karen, are you a, a John Buscema fan? Yeah, I am. Uh, I was kind of looking through this and um, I feel like, I was wondering how the, how I felt about the inking. Like, I think it's good. Um, I, but what comes to mind is uh, some of his later stuff gets even more expressive and like really flowy. And you see some yeah. of that in like a lot of like the toad stuff, like the way that's like the, the body's flow is like really great. And yeah, he's great at poses and obviously the muscles. So so uh, I've talked about this briefly on the podcast before, but uh, every, once a month we do a huge trial, like epic episode focused on one character. And I timed this this way on purpose, but our very next episode after this one will be the trial of the toad. I read his <laughs> whole publication history. We're going to talk a lot about this bizarre character uh, who is so often mistreated and so often vastly changed by whatever writer picks him up. 
Uh, he's a fascinating character. So uh, give that a listen. We will have that posted uh, in our next episode after this one. And then uh, Gray Malkin's next episode after that, we're going to be going back to uh, uh, X-Men number 46 and, and reviewing that with the, uh, with the older Marvel writer, Tom Pear, uh, who's written some mm-hmm. X-Men comics uh, that you may be familiar with. Uh, so we have some really fun content to explore. Um, as we are wrapping up our episode here, let me have each of you share where people might find you online. If you have any other or final thoughts or impressions you'd like to share with us today after uh, our very lovely uh, emotional conversation at the beginning and then our very nerdy quick review of this old comic book, uh, uh, where can people find you and uh, any final thoughts you'd like to share? And then anything we can look forward to coming out from you, recognizing that this episode will come out in early June. Uh, Let's go in the order of Karen, Casey, Tristan. Um, You know... I love the X-Men. I love Magneto. Avengers are okay. So it's kind of, (laughs) it was really their book, this issue. So X-Men kind of got the raw end of the deal, but that's okay. I I know that they shine in other uh, moments. But not in the 60s. (laughs) (laughs) Not for a couple more issues after this when uh, Jim Steranko starts drawing and then later neil yeah yeah we get neil adams neil so adams very excited. rest in peace but um yeah uh as i said at the top i'm always on uh twitter uh, at karen underscore x-men fan um i'm gonna be actually sadly wrapping up my uh eternals coverage with zoe tonnell on comics xf because that series is renumbering after this issue that has just come out at when this airs uh issue 12 and then uh we'll see what happens after that but i did just start covering knights of x with uh nola foul on the same site so Hmm. amazing amazing yeah uh casey well i mean just lovely to to hang out with you all um and have this conversation very welcoming to a, a newbie at least in this corner of of the comics world. So I appreciate y'all. Um, and yeah, folks can find me. I've, I've got a website that's kccounselor.com. Um, and counselor and is C O U N C I L O R. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, and I do have, uh, you know, links to Instagram and things there. Um, I'm not very active there. So uh, website, um, I also co-host a podcast. Um, it's really nice to be a guest on the podcast. I don't know how much crossover we have, um, but it's called real talk. Uh, diversity in higher ed. Um, mm. You can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. Mm. Um, my co-host and I are both queer, so anything we talk about is also queer. Um, and yeah, I'm working on another book. It's not not going to be for a, a while, <laughs> a year or two, but eventually um, you'll see another one. We'll keep our eyes open for it. Your work is just incredible. Uh, and then Tristan. You can... Um... Find I have a website, uh, tristanpalmgren.com. Uh, of course, now that I've mentioned it, I remember I need to update it. Um, <laughs> so hopefully that will be updated by the time this comes out. Uh, it's spelled T-R-I-S-T-A-N-P-A-L-M-G-R-E-N. Um, you can also sometimes find me on Twitter, but I, uh, with uh, under that name, uh, at Tristan Palmgren, but I am... Uh, Drastically uh, curtailing my pre- uh, my presence there in light of the uh, the recent musking 
Um, <laughs> so I, I will be discussing mostly uh, book mm. business there. If you'd like to find me more casually, um, I'm also uh, starting up on Mastodon where you can find me, uh, again, at that name, Tristan Palmgren at wandering.shop. Um, so yeah, if, if, if you're new to Mastodon, um, it is a little confusing, but you can just search for that and find me and add me to your timeline if you are so inclined. Um, I will I will try to be brief about the book promos, but again, I have an X-Men book um, focusing on Italy and Elixir um, uh, and a deep underwater undersea horror story just uh, just to lighten, uh, lighten the mood. So if you are looking for, for some uh, some escapism into a into a better world than the one in which we now inhabit, uh, you can go under uh, a mile underwater to be menaced by uh, by vampire merfolk and it's it's much more cheerful than than, than this one. Um, and I also have a uh, uh, Squirrel Girl novel, Squirrel Girl Universe, coming out this August. Um, the publication date is scheduled for August 2nd. I expect the ebook will be out then. Um, but the, uh, the, because of issues at the, um, in the, uh, the, the uh, paper, uh, uh, paper and publishing industries, um, the paperback may not be out until a few weeks later, or at least that is how it has worked out for um, for uh, this uh, for the X Men novel. So, Squirrel Girl Universe out in ebook form uh, August sec uh, August second, hopefully um, print form in that same day. Um, but stay tuned for updates. Um, I am extremely uh, <laughs> thrilled with both of these novels and grateful for the opportunity and astounded that they are coming out within uh, within four months of each other. So I can't uh, wait to read both. Uh, I love your X-Men books, but I'm super excited for Squirrel Girl, which is my favorite series ever. I love it so much. Uh, Tristan, I can't wait. Um, I'm having huge... so much fun with it. I'm a I huge fan wait. of all three of yours. I think all three of you are just incredible uh, and inspiring. Uh, and and uh, Karen, you and I have chatted for a long time. Tristan, you and I are friends, but Casey in particular, it's such an honor to have you here and to get to know you. Thank you for stepping into this universe with us <laughs> and for sharing your powerful story and for changing mm -hmm. so many lives. Um, as we're wrapping up, my name is Chad Anderson. I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos, but you can find Grimlock and Lane under that name on, on Instagram uh, or Grimlock and PP like podcast on Twitter. Uh, what an honor to see all of you here. We'll see you back here next time on Grimlock and Lane for the trial of the toad. Thank you so much for listening to Grimlock and Lane. I'm pouring a lot of time, labor, and love into this podcast, and I truly hope you are enjoying it. We're seeking to create a unique space here, and I'm really proud of what we've put out so far and really excited about what we have coming up. Graham and Lane is recorded and edited at a private studio in Salt Lake City, Utah. Music and editing are done by my husband, Michael Bell. Graham and Lane can be found on Twitter at Graham Alkin P, P like podcast, and on Instagram under Graham Alkin Lane. If you're enjoying our work, help us spread the word about this unique podcast. Please leave us a good review wherever you listen and check out our bonus content and fan engagement on Patreon. We'll see you back here next episode on Graham Alkin Lane.